Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Well, hello! I am Matt Williamson. I told you we have a special Wednesday draft guest, and he has been on before. This is Kyle Krabs. He started the Locked On NFL Draft podcast with Joe Marino. He is not. He works for NDT Scouting. He just put out an awesome draft guide. Kyle, what is shaking, brother? I got a chance to meet him at the Combine as well in person. So this is a real big-time up-and-comer in the business. I urge you all to check his stuff out in a big way. Kyle, what's shaking, brother? Hey, man, thank you so much for, for the, the gracious introduction and having me on and uh, you know, the kind words for the perspective this year. It's, uh, it's always a labor of love, but to get some of the feedback that I get and, and knowing, uh, I know we're going to dig into a little bit, but, you know, I, I don't read anybody's stuff before I'm done my 300 assessment. So it's, it's a little off the wall in comparison to what some other people get. So, Know, hearing people that are really receptive and appreciate that unique point of view and you know it's all great stuff and and it's the best part for me yeah and that's apparent and that's what I want to talk to you about is in a second I want you to tell everyone where to find your your draft perspectives because it's fantastic it's one of the best ones I've read but because I'm really an NFL scout I'm always behind when it comes to draft stuff and yes I am watching players but I'm not doing it year round I'm a scouting staff of one with 90% of my focus on NFL so unfortunately from where I sit, a lot of my draft knowledge has to come secondhand. And sure. you're, you're right. You know, I'm looking at your stuff, and it's very different than the consensus, which I really respect. I mean, it's easy to just go with the flow and put what everyone else does. Yeah, and obviously, you're not doing that. So tell people where they can find this guide, and then I want to get into some specific players. Sure. So we recent, this week we rolled out our, our new website at www.ndtscouting.com uh, and the product that we're putting out is pretty cool. The prospectus is a piece of that. I've done four years worth of those prospectus 300 players in every single one of them from every draft class and we're doing a 12 month $20 annual subscription that includes all of the ones I've previously written the one I've written and Joe Marino is doing the same 300 players as me this year in his own draft uh, portfolio. And that's all accessible through this new NDTScouting.com. You enroll on the site. It gives you a web portal where you can log on and access the reports and download them. Uh, and then we have a 12-month calendar of premium stuff. Because uh, as you said, you know, if you're a scout, like a real scout with a college scope, you have to be doing this year-round. Oh, yeah. So that, that's the first year. This past year was the first year we did that where – Joe and I picked 100 seniors throughout the course of the summer, and we did preseason assessments on those players and really kind of set our knowledge base for the core of the class. And uh, from there, you know, we get into the, the actual season, and we'll be doing some exclusive stuff with some of our credential trips and what we're able to get a beat on. And uh, a really interesting way for us to try and change the landscape of draft products because guides are really popular, but it is a year-round thing, so we want to be very transparent with that. Yeah, and lastly, I mean, I just pulled up your site right now. It looks fantastic. There's other people working for you guys than just you and Joe. 
and you hadn't mentioned it, but you and Joe also do a Draft Dudes podcast that is fantastic. I mean, obviously, the listeners out here are podcast people. Um, they must check that out. They must go there to NDT Scouting and go to the site and get your guide as well as Joe's, which is coming out soon, right? Yes, Joe's will be out uh, hopefully by the 10th, if not the 10th, the 11th. It's just a question of uh, doing some final touches on his publishing and, and finishing up his proofreading. But by this time next week, that will be available as well. Okay. So, near the top of your prospectus, your, your scouting guide, is your top 50. You know, your big board, to quote Mel. Um, and I'm not going to reveal the overall ranks of these players, but I will suffice it to say to our listeners that you have these guys far higher than most people do. So I'm not even going to tell you where they're at exactly. They need to buy the guy to do that. But I am going to bring some names up, and I want you to defend your case of why they're better than Joe Blow thinks they are. And I know you don't care what everybody else thinks, but how about we're going to start with Ohio State and interior offensive lineman Pat Elfline. Sure. Uh, Pat, top 25 player on the board. I'll give guys a, a ballpark. For yeah, yeah, yeah. Guys. Uh, really impressed with the growth that I saw from him in 2016. I, we, he was one of the players we did it in the summer uh, as a senior assessment, and I kind of came away thinking, hey, you know what, this is a, probably a mid-round guy, maybe late round two if the team – but, you know, they moved him inside the center, and he did a, a really great job of improving his body positioning. Uh, he had some more urgency with finishing his blocks and, and uh, just a really strong awareness of, of where the ball is and where his responsibility is in creating lanes and steering defensive linemen uh, when he's given opportunities to drive guys off the ball, he's not an overwhelming power guy because he doesn't have uh, great natural size or, or super thick lower half to be able to generate movement. But uh, it's a combination of the tenacity that he brings to the position, uh, working angles and utilizing his hand to manipulate bodies and turn people out of running lanes, and then just a really reliable uh, sense of awareness of where he's at in the pocket and, and integrity as a pass protector. Do you, I know that most project him as a center. You have him listed as a guard. Are you comfortable with both? And do you think he can fit any system? Yeah, I think he, he, he can play in either system. I think probably for some uh, systems and offenses, he's better suited for guard. And others, he's better suited for center. I think if you're running a lot of heavy uh, outside zone, you can maximize his abilities as a guard, uh, whereas if you run a, a power or a man scheme primarily in the running game, center's probably where you'll find most success with him there. But because he has that flexibility and he can play all along the offensive interior, uh, it's an added value for him because it, it, that versatility is going to protect uh, your offensive line where you can just be, should hypothetically be able to slide him around if you have an injury and you know, not make two positions worse. Uh, with an injury as compared to only having one that has a drop-off. Okay. Um, Eddie Jackson is a safety from Bama, and it blows me away what I know about him, and you know more, that he isn't a household name or isn't talked about as a potential first-round pick. Or uh, Obviously, you're very high on him. We, we're probably in the same camp here, but why isn't he considered you know, a surefire first-round type guy? You know, this is a conversation that, you know, I, I did a radio spot for a Miami Dolphins podcast 
uh, last week and had thrown out Eddie Jackson as a potential, you know, somebody that I personally would have in the consideration at 22, depending on how the board falls, adding a safety to that roster. It'd be a good and, compliment uh, to Jones. Yes, I, I think there's their skill sets would complement each other quite well. And Jackson, there's this recency bias with draft media in general, where when, nine times out of ten when people are talking about a player, you'll hear them talk about the bowl game or the conference championship game. So it's people are watching games sequentially. They're always going to remember the last thing. Well, the last thing people remember for Eddie Jackson was a quiet start to 2016, and then he broke his leg versus Texas A&M and hasn't played it down and hasn't tested at the combine. So because that he doesn't... So therefore he's no good that, anymore. Right. People just <laughs> forget that Eddie Jackson exists, which blows my mind. He came in as a highly recruited corner prospect. He played two years at corner before transitioning to free safety in 2015. And, you know, his ball skills, route awareness, and range are all very strong in the middle of the field. Now, there were some plays that he didn't have to make because he's surrounded by guys at Alabama. But you can see the mental processing is there. The range is there. The ball skills are there. He's a highly impactful player in special teams as a return player as well. And because he has a background at corner, you can play him man-to-man in the slot, and he's shown success there as well. So just all the ways that he can impact the game, I think he's a wonderful safety prospect that doesn't nearly get his due, A, because it's a deep safety class, and B, everybody forgets that Eddie Jackson's out there because he had an injury. Devin McCourty type? I could see that. Yeah, I could definitely see some similarities there between you know McCourty's path and, and what Jackson's been through so far in his career. Yeah, McCourty came in the league as a corner and you know made the switch and versatile guy. Uh, I guess that would make some sense. Is that the new iPhone? Yeah, got it on T-Mobile. Fastest iPhone deserves America's fastest LTE network. Introducing the amazing iPhone 8. It's the best iPhone yet, now on America's best unlimited network. For a limited time, save up to $300 on the amazing iPhone 8 after 24 monthly bill credits. And now join T-Mobile's iPhone upgrade program for free. Eligible trade-in and finance agreement required. If you cancel service, you may lose promo credits. Contact us for details. Video at 480p. Small fraction of users over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speed. See store for details. Another Bama guy that you have very high and seen a lot of mixed opinions on, Cam Robinson, the offensive tackle. Yeah. Cam is one of my top ten players in the class. And I wrote a piece for FanRag Sports discussing uh, Mike Mayock had insinuated around the combine that maybe Cam Robinson was a better interior offensive lineman. He had him rated as his number one interior offensive lineman. And for me, Robinson's got all the traits in the world. He's got length. He's got natural athleticism. He's got power. He's got everything you're looking for in a franchise left tackle, but consistency is the issue for him. And it's not always technical either. It's a lot of silly stuff between the ears. Uh, false steps getting out of a stance, false start penalties, uh, boneheaded stuff like that. that realistically, if you're able to light a fire under him, he's going to be a dominant player in the league. Uh, so that, that physical, athletic package and set of traits that he's working with is very rare. And to move him inside, with his issues being between the ears and mental, I really have a hard time getting on board with that because now you're talking about everything happens faster, closer to the football. So if you're going to take a guy that has in-between-the-ear stuff that's a problem, but he has enough length 
and athleticism to be able to negate a lot of that naturally just by riding guys out through the pocket because he's so long, uh, you don't have that opportunity inside anymore. If you take a false step inside, it's game over because it's a straight pathway to the football, at least at tackle with your in, with the issues that he shows, he can mask that with recovery speed and length. So I'm I'm kind of betting on the upside that you know he's going to get a fire lit up underneath his butt, and he figures some of the technical stuff out. But he has stretches that is just dominating play. Yeah, I mean you make great points there. I mean why would you compromise him and put him at guard? That you know it's not like he has short arms or bad feet or you know I mean something that's never going to change. And, and with my experience with teams. You know, scouts watch these guys year-round like you were talking about. And then when the season's over, the NFL season's over, then the offensive line coach, the position coach, starts watching these guys. And my hunch is coaches look at him a lot different than scouts look at Robinson. A coach, yeah. you know, coach looks at him and says, well, I can fix that. I'm the best coach in the world. I can turn this guy into Jonathan Ogden. Yeah, and it's... It, whether it manifests itself or not is a different story, but every coach is going to look like every quarterback's coach or offensive coordinator is going to look at every quarterback and say, he's got enough traits and, and skills and tools. I can fix it in between this year stuff because you see teams bet on it every single year. So even though it's a different position than what you traditionally see associated with upside and tools and, and developmental curve, uh, I think all that stuff is still very applicable to Robinson. I wrote an article earlier this week, and I hadn't seen your guide yet when I wrote it, um, saying I think Joe Mixon is the best running back prospect in this draft um, because of the of the nature of the league now. I mean, maybe if we were in 1988, I would say Leonard Fournette's the best running back in this draft, or you know, sure. or if I was in 2027, I might say McCaffrey's. You know, but I think Mixon's the blend you're looking for, and let's just say you agree with me. Yes. Yeah. That's. Um... You know, that, that one through three running back prop is, is very close. Uh, obviously, Mixon has the off-the-field issues that he needs to answer for, and uh, I don't envy teams for deciding when it's, it's worth pulling the trigger and, and making an investment in him with the, the public relations. And, you know, they're, they're probably going to have, a, to have a mentor in place and make sure there's a lot of structure around him to, to keep him oh, on the straight and narrow because any kind of issues him is going to be it's just going to blow up so on the field that's all we're talking about right yeah i see a blend of power speed uh patience uh blocking ability receiving ability he checks every single box i would even go as far to say since i started working uh and formed ndt scouting in the fall of 2013 he's the best running back film assessment i've conducted in those four years Wow. Uh, including Zeke and... Yes, right. including Zeke. And, and um, I caught some flack for that. Gurley. I, I had that take back in uh, in March, and then it, it kind of resurfaced when the rankings came out, uh, which I just put out recently, and some people really were surprised by that. But the thing about Zeke is Zeke was a perfect blend of what he does well, the offense that he landed in, what the coaching staff asked him to do, and the offensive line in front of him. Zeke wasn't necessarily a great tools guy. Right. right? Where, where Mixon has, I think, better physical tools than Elliott, uh, but he's not as clean of a prospect, of course. And then uh, he, he was the dominant speech. 
future back at Ohio State where Mixon had to share carries with Samaj P. Ryan. So we really don't know what Mixon could have done with a full slate of carries. But just looking at the, the package athletically that he brings and what he shows on film, not to lose that and get lost in just upside, 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 uh, the film, he's got some dominating stretches where surprising lateral agility and he's 6'1", 225, and just a really, really impressive uh, package that he brings to the table. Yeah, great receiver. I mean, I, I think people forget about Elliott. That's kind of a side note, but I, I think Gurley has a better set of traits than, you know, Gurley at his best, and it's it's not yeah. popular to say yeah. right this minute, but coming out of school, I would take Gurley over Elliott. Yeah, it was for me. It was Mixon, Gurley, and uh, Elliott was number three. Okay, okay. So I'm, I'm right there with you. Another guy that you love that I'm loving seeing, offensive guard from Pitt, where it's my hometown. I was on uh, yeah. I, I was on staff there for three years. We would have killed for Dorian Johnson when I was at Pitt. You went to three bowl games, Larry Fitzgerald, those years. Rob Petiti was our best offensive lineman in those three years, and he went and played in the NFL, but. He's nothing like Dorian Johnson. Dorian Johnson, to me, is one of the most overlooked players in this draft, and I do have some bias. Well, no, I, I you know, another player that, much like Pat Elfline, uh, did the summer assessment and was like, yeah, I can take it or leave it. And then you come back and you circle back, and I kind of analogy uh, compare it to watching a movie the second time through or a TV show the second time through. The more you watch guys and you sit down and you watch them sequentially, the more finer details you're able to pick up on. And uh, Johnson was a player that just the power in his hands is just overwhelming. And um, he, he's a, a player that was a highly regard, regarded and recruited left tackle prospect coming out of high school. Uh, and you see that athleticism. I think that's what partially threw me off with him a little bit. Is he doesn't look like a guard. He's built like a tackle. And, um, you know, you're expecting that quick, concise punch and he's efficient with the punch, but it's not as compact as what you I was usually looking at for interior offensive linemen. So that threw me off a little bit. But when he gets his hands locked on you, yeah, uh, leg drive is there. The the initial pop to win at first contact is there. He's got some pretty nice recovery balance as far as in pass protection. Uh, working him inside kind of protects him from some of the lateral issues that he has. He's not the smoothest guy working side to side. But playing him inside is going to protect him from having to be isolated on an island a whole bunch. Uh, I really think, you know, kind of the opposite of Pat Elfline. If you're talking about a, a gap or power-style offensive lineman to play on the inside, uh, left or right guard, you know, I, you play him either way. I know he played left guard, uh, really, really dominating in the run game, and he's a plus blocker in pass protection as well. Yeah, I look at him like if I'm the – the Rams or the Vikes that you know still need major yeah. O line help, but don't have that first round pick. I, I would be crossing my fingers that he falls to me in the second round. Yeah, I think um, I know he scored a little bit higher on my board than than that. He scored as an early second round value, mm-hmm. um, but there's a scarcity. I believe I only finished with 17 first round values, um, so teams in the back half aren't going to quite get the same value they would ideally like to in a vacuum, but Johnson, uh, I think the value lines up there where if you're picking uh, 33 to 50 and you need an offensive guard, you could do a whole lot worse. Yeah, and for my listeners out there that don't know, when you're sitting in a war room, kind of like Kyle just mentioned, most of the time there's really only 
15, sometimes 12, maybe as many as 20 guys that have first-round grades in your room. I mean, so if you're picking 25, 32, you're picking somebody that does not have a first-round grade. I mean, that's not uncommon. That doesn't mean that this is a poor draft class by any means. A guy that I didn't even know his name before right now, another guard. I know we're talking a lot of guards and centers here. That's good radio. But um, Sean Harlow from Oregon State. I I don't know a thing about him. Coach me up. Uh, Harlow played left tackle at Oregon State. Uh, Feel for him because nobody knows who he is because he played at Oregon State. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's tenacious. He moves really well. He's kind of like a Forrest Lamp style offensive lineman. I see a lot of similarities as far as their strengths and weaknesses. Um, I think he's got a little bit more natural pop power than Lamp, which is why he's, I believe he's one spot above Lamp in the offensive guard rankings on my list. Um, But, man, I was really surprised watching Oregon State, and he really flashed as far as, technically speaking, his feet are clean, and he's he's doing a nice job squaring up his his, uh, defenders and framing the quarterback in pass protection and playing through the whistle, and he's got nice balance, and he's built, he's able to carry himself really low, so when he's able to to out-leverage somebody and get them up on their heels or kind of tilt the torso a little bit, he'll finish guys, and he's, he's not a traditional finisher, so that blend of the two is what really struck out to me. It's like, oh, okay, this guy this guy can play. Hmm. That's interesting. I, I didn't know more about him. I'm excited to go watch him. Um, you mentioned FanRag Sports, and I'm writing an article for them. I'm writing four, four articles a week for FanRag, and on Saturday is going to be some fits for the Raiders at the running back position. And I would think that they're looking for a powerful dude. You know, they got two guys now that, that catch the ball well, younger. Um, they've flirted with Lynch coming back. Who knows what happens there? But a guy you're high on, I'm thinking about, you know, kind of profiling as a second-day option for the Raiders is Clemson's Wayne Gallman. Yeah. Yeah, I like Wayne a lot. Wayne, to me, um, reminds me a good bit of Houston Arian Foster. Hmm, as far okay. as he's really smooth. He's he Glider. The ball. Yeah, he's a glider. He's not really twitchy. He doesn't care, cover a lot of ground on his cuts. But he strings things together well. He sees things well. Um, he's smooth. That's the best way to put it. He, he glides. So there's there's times where... Just interrupt real quick. I've heard some yeah. people that don't like him say he's slow. But a lot of those gliders, you know, of doing this as long as I have, they don't look as fast as they are, but they eat up a lot of turf. Yes. So, and it's the ability when, the, when that point of attack is stuffed up. Gallman does really nice to maximize his runs. So it's either, all right, cut my losses. Um, I, I'm going to try and get what I can oh, in the, the, the gap back inside. Or the lateral bounces for him are what really stands out. Hmm. Um, he, he's a, a pretty competent blocker. Uh, he's active in the receiving game. Uh, he's a reliable guy. Uh, as a checkdown player, he's good in screens and, and knows how to maneuver the pocket and delayed releases. Uh, just a lot of polish and nuance there that I I don't think because it doesn't fit the quote unquote like sexy early running back profile, uh, people kind of take it for granted. But I think he can be a really nice starter in the NFL. Nice, I, I like the sound of that. Um, a hot name all of a sudden, and people need to realize the scouts have heard of this guy for a year. But just because you and you know people out there are hearing about him for the first time, you have him you know just outside the first round with your grades. 
Tyus Bowser out of Houston. It, 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 it seems to me like he could be a Jamie Collins off the ball, maybe on the ball, man coverage in tight ends, cover space, do it all. You know, Julian Peterson, you know, these are high ceiling guys, but I mean, he seems yeah. like he's that type of, you know, the usage for him. Yeah, I, I like him best in space, so the, probably the Jamie Collins comp is the, the best way to go. Uh, man, he's, he's got loose hips. Uh, so when he's, when he's playing in zone coverage in space and he's got to carry routes through his, through his area and, and pass them off, that's when you really see his athleticism shine the most. As a pass rusher, he doesn't have too much in the way of secondary counters, uh, but he's got tilt. He's got short area quickness, and he's got good initial burst. Where if you're playing him in a wide angle, he can challenge the quarterback and, and, and challenge angles and, and take pretty direct lines to pass to the quarterback. Uh, I like him a good deal as far as if say you're playing a four-three under, you need that Sam walked up on the line of scrimmage and yeah. it's, it's the face of a tight end. I think that's a home run style systemic set for him uh, because he can rush the passer. He can play forward. Uh, he can play backwards. He's athletic enough to flip his hips open and carry guys down the field. Uh, a really nice blend of skills. The last subject I wanted to bring up with you is the wide receiver position. I, I intentionally have not brought up any wide receivers. Your rankings are a little different than most. You don't have to tell me the order again. The people should go get your guide. But what are your thoughts on the top handful or so of dudes? Yeah, uh, for I. I love Taewon Taylor out of Western Kentucky. Uh, the comparison I made, I profiled Taylor back for FanRag Sports in December, uh, was a little more twitched-up version of Michael Crabtree. As That's far as watching his film and, and what you see. Yeah, now it turns out he didn't test what he was billed as, but he still, I think that Crabtree comparison is very favorable for him as far as how he wins, why he wins, uh, the polish he has as a route runner. He's not necessarily overwhelming in any given area uh, but he's, he plays the ball well, he addresses the ball well, he extends for the ball, uh, which is an issue that I have with say someone like Mike, Mike Williams, is Williams has all the size you want uh, he's good in contested catch situations but there's just some times where it's like extend for the ball, like go get it, go get it. and he'll let that ball get into his chest a little bit too much uh, and another name that I really like is Josh Reynolds from Texas A&M I think uh, he's being criminally underrated because the, the passing structure at Texas a and with Trevor Knight this year uh, left quite a bit to be desired. Uh, a lot of times in which he was, you, you would see him uncovered and open and winning routes against zone and man coverage, and just the, the ball just couldn't get there. I was impressed that he was able to crack 1,000 yards in that offense just because uh, it was very irregular and chaotic and a lot of missed opportunities there. I think as a vertical guy that can be a really strong number two receiver for somebody, uh, Reynolds brings a lot to the table, and I think he has some developmental upside too as far as if he's able to, to learn how to play a little stronger and, and be more physical at the top of his route stems. And We had him on the Draft News podcast last week, and that was one thing he talked about specifically was you know, all throughout the, the Senior Bowl and talking to Mike Evans, who's another Texas A&M guy, and the combine, I've been hearing, you got to get stronger and play through contact better. So it's something that he's, he's aware of and he's actively trying to work on. So if that takes, I think he's got great upside. It could be a very productive receiver at the next level. 
I like it. I like it. I, I know a lot of people are talking about Carlos Henderson, great after the catch type of guy. Um, you're really high on Malachi Dupree, and I know some people are not, but I mean, a tough system that he's coming from. But he was a high, high recruit, wasn't he? Yeah, his his uh, that's a guy that the quote unquote the tools are all there, and mm-hmm. uh, he he wins. He's he's big, he's long, he's got good straight line speed. He wins vertically down the field. Uh, you see contested catch situations with him where uh, just because of his stature. Uh, he's able to, to win some tightly contested throws. And uh, I, I guess the, the issue for me with Dupree is I, I have him valued as a second-round caliber player. and um, you know, Trust me, that's much higher than most people do. Sure, there, there's a little bit of unknown there. Sure. As far as uh, LSU receivers in general have not really – taking the next step into college level, but I'm looking at the traits and I'm seeing what he's able to do and the flashes of what you're able to do. And I say, okay, there's enough here for me to get excited about as a potential alpha receiver based on the upside that he has. And you see that all the time where this guy very well could have a much better NFL career than he had college career. Right. And that's something that I think a lot of people get lost in, not just in looking at a college player versus a pro player, but also in draft assessment. Um, you, know, you gotta be. You gotta have some creativity here. You gotta recognize, and I know I'm preaching the choir talking to you. Sure. Uh, that that ability to identify what it is that you want in a player, and focus on that instead of focusing on the things that somebody can't do or the things that they haven't done. Just because somebody hasn't done something doesn't mean that they can't. But there is always going to be that little bit of space between point A and point B where you're going to have to assume that, that it's going to be able to connect. And I think some of the best coaches and evaluators, more so coaches, you know, because evaluators present it to the coaches. And I think that the coaches, you know, you're reading your report and you're like, hey, he's a little bit slow. You're telling him all the things he can't do. But I think the smart decision maker coach says, tell me what he can do and I'll put him in position to do it. And there's even fewer that will actually consistently do that, right? Right. Where, where Easier said than done. Yeah. So, so look at somebody like uh, Tavon Austin, and that's kind of an extreme example. And I love Tavon coming out of college. Um, but imagine if but he was on the Saints. Right. You have to manufacture the touches. And, you know, him being in Los Angeles and St. Louis when they were there, uh, it never really manifested itself. So it, it feels like there's more that's being left on the table and there's meat still left on the bone because – Common sense says you got to manufacture touches, but the way they go about doing it just, just leaves you wanting some more. Kyle, this is awesome. I'm going to wrap it up. Um, I urge everybody to check him out. Please tell everyone where to find you again. Twitter handle. You must go get his scouting report. It's good, good stuff. And, and the, the podcast and the site in general are really strong, too. Well, thank you so much for having me. had a, a really nice time. I always enjoy talking ball, and it's uh, it's a little less stressful now that all my, my film work and leg work for the year is done. So <laughs> nice. you can find me on Twitter at NDT Scouting. Uh, we are at www.ndtscouting.com. Uh, Facebook page is also facebook.com slash NDT Scouting. Pretty much if it has NDT Scouting in the name, it's where you can find me on almost anything. Cool. Very cool, man. That's a wrap. Thank you all for listening. This was great, Kyle. Thank you for having me.